Hello and welcome to Fandom Made Me, a podcast from Fandom Forward featuring interviews with activists, leaders, and writers about the pop culture that made them who they are. As per usual, I'm your host, Sabrina Carton, and today we're answering the question, what happens when fans and creators become friends? If you listened to our first episode on Gilmore Girls and Disability, you'll know that Gilmore Girls is one of my core fandoms. I'm obsessed with it. I live and breathe it. And that in the last couple of years, I've developed a friendship and working relationship with one of the show's cast members. Our guest today is John Cabrera, an actor, screenwriter, and director best known for his role as Brian Fuller on Gilmore Girls. John appeared in seasons three through seven of the show as the geeky roommate and bandmate to Lane Kim, Rory Gilmore's best friend, and of course he was also in the Netflix revival A Year in the Life. John and I connected over Facebook in 2021 because we both had a shared interest in fandom, and in addition to his work in Hollywood, he's the co-founder of Remarkist, a fandom app and ecosystem. In this episode, John and I talk about how Gilmore Girls developed a massive fandom during the streaming era, his experience actually watching the show for the first time with a group of fans on Remarkist, and how this project has led to other fandoms developing communities on the platform. John's understanding of fandom was shaped both by his work in television and as a fan of the hit TV show Lost. We get into his experience as a popular Lost fan blogger, and we talk about how prestige dramas have been shaped by fandom over the last decade. I'm happy to say that this is a spoiler-free episode, and you don't need to have watched Gilmore Girls or Lost to follow along. Also, heads up, because we recorded this a little while back, you will still hear references to the name Shireside Chats. I think that this is the last episode where that happens. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that Fandom Made Me is an independently produced podcast, and you can support Fandom Forward by visiting fandomforward.org donate, or by becoming one of our Patreon subscribers at patreon.com fandomforward. Now, on to the show. Hello, John Cabrera, and welcome to Shireside Chats. Well, hello there, Sabrina. Uh, it's very good to, to be here um, in this little hut this little what 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 do the what do the hobbits call their their it's, hobbit hole this hobbit hole it's the hobbit hole we're evoking for your listeners a, a real sense of wonder um yeah and, and middle earth the the sense that we are really in middle earth a middle earth with uh wallpaper and blood sockets i mean did you see a single plug socket in lord of the rings it doesn't mean that they didn't exist i mean they had to plug in the cameras somehow that's true it's it's middle ages technology right there there isn't any electricity in that world is there well what if it's like harry potter and you know you just say oh well there was but you didn't see it which is <laughs> that's a question for you then now i'm thinking about like are there any plug sockets in hogwarts well probably but you never saw them no, absolutely not. Everything is run in in modern times. Why wouldn't they? Um, because canonically, they were thirty years behind on technology from the the Muggle world. There were there were plug sockets thirty years ago. Oh well, I guess good point. Check and mate. I'm sure that this is somewhere in in the Harry Potter universe. I need to go to Quora right now. Yes, that that's what you need to be doing right now. Welcome to Shireside Chats, the coziest or claiming to be the coziest podcast on the internet. Are you ready to get cozy? I'm uh, super ready. I've got my coffee here with me and my plug sockets. 
I have this decaf chai that I drank most of because before we started this interview, we talked for 25 minutes, which is what we always do um, for anyone who did not listen to the first episode of Shireside Chat, which was about Gilmore Girls and disability. I spoke with my guests about the fact that I know many cast members from Gilmore Girls, including John Cabrera. And I spoke about what we're going to talk about today, which is his project Remarkist and creating a fandom app and ecosystem. So, John, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Remarkist and what it means to develop this kind of project? Yeah, sure. So uh, Remarkist is a fandom ecosystem that is focused on building live event experiences around the shows, movies, books, media franchises that we love. It combines an element of uh, a collectibles game, and yeah, I, I would probably say that it that that it's probably cl- its closest analogy would be a it's like a live podcasting platform for fans to provide perspective on the shows that they that they love. I've I've always had this this belief, certainly for the last fifteen years, I've been really really deep into fandom. I created a, sh- a series for Warner Brothers back in the late aughts uh, called H+. And it was my first... Well, no, I mean, well, yes, actually. You know, um, I would I would really officially say it was my first taste of fandom. And I know that if you're a Gilmore Girls fan, you'll be like, wait a second, that doesn't track because you were on Gilmore Girls beforehand. But uh, the truth is I didn't really have a strong sense for the Gilmore Girls fandom while I was on the show. Because while I was on the show, um, two things. One, the fandom wasn't nearly as large as it is now. The fandom grew considerably in the teens with Netflix. Uh, during the aughts, it was it was a smaller show. I mean, I would get recognized occasionally, but it wasn't enough that I really felt like there was a fandom. It felt like there were some people who were watching this show. And I also didn't have, you know, I wasn't a lead character on the show. So I also, I think, felt, probably felt even at that time that fandoms weren't really for characters like mine. They were more for the main characters. Sean Gunn and I, who've known each other for 30 years, well before Gilmore Girls, he and I used to have a little running gag that we did when we were out together. He would, of course, be recognized much more, much more frequently than I would. And that's because he plays Kirk. For those of you who don't know Gilmore Girls that well, Kirk is like the um, he's a he's a main cast member on Gilmore Girls, and and he's um, the town weird guy. So, <laughs> so yes, it, uh, if you are a fan and you strangely don't know the show Gilmore Girls, no, uh, you you uh, I I would have to imagine that you, that many of your listeners know Kirk, but if you don't, yes, he's uh, the He's one of the main cast members and he plays like the comic relief, I guess, on the show, the comic character. We used to have this gag where we would be out in public and somebody would recognize him uh, from the show and they'd come up and we were both standing there together. And uh, and this would be deep into the into the series, like, you know, season five, season six. And so I'm all well established by character and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, you're Kirk. I love you on the show. I am the biggest Gilmore Girls fan, biggest, the biggest fan. And Sean would be like, oh, nice to meet you. That's great. Uh, this is my friend, John. And they would just like glance over at me and be like, hi. And then they just turn and then just turn back to him and just continue gushing over him. 
and, and it was just like a kind of clear, like very big difference from how it would go today. Today, obviously, if you're a huge Gilmore Girls fan, you would recognize like a a, a an extra, <laughs> yeah, an, an extra on the show. But back then, it really truly was not the case. Uh, there there were so many. Like I said, it was a running gag. We we did it all the time, and I would say that like nine times out of ten, they did not know who in the world I was, and uh, and continued gushing over him. Every once in a while, they would of course they would they would know. But I anyway. It just means that, like, I just didn't really have a sense for fandom at that time. But then when I, I left the show, I transitioned to writing and I produced, I wrote and produced a show for Warner Brothers that was a big science fiction epic. Uh, uh, it was a digital series. It was Warner Brothers' first digital series at that time. And it was kind of made for fandoms because it was like, it was made for fans to get geeky about it and like try and figure out what was going on and piece together the clues. And so it was the first time that I got to really engage with fans. And it just got me on this, this road of really being like feeling akin to fans and, and re recognizing like my own fandom. Um, this was around the same time that I started to to get really deep into the television show Lost. I started blogging about Lost. I built like a little readership around my my hot takes, which which I did like every week, like they came out at the same time. And I started building this like big readership of people who wanted to know all my theories and whatnot. And it just got me super fascinated with wanting to build something for fans. And it especially got me thinking about how much fans contribute to the success of the shows, movies, books that they love and how they deserve to have more of a place um, in the creation of content around their favorite shows. And now we have this budding creator economy that's been, you know, that's been growing for the past, I'd say five years or so, really. And... I mean, longer than that, but, you know, really that, you know, the, that the idea of the future of the internet is going to be creators building brands for themselves. Uh, it just felt right to build a product that would allow fans to create content around what they know so well. And in many cases, what they know better than the people who created the shows, as I learned, um, and had been learning while building Remarkus, the, the fans that I'm, that I'm with, like basically taught me everything about the show that I was on. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that you were a huge fan, not of Gilmore Girls, when you were making it, because when you see how the sausage is made, it's not that you don't like it. It's that you're busy doing this all day long. And so when you come home, you really want to do something else. So when you were making Gilmore Girls, you would come home and you would watch a little show called Lost. But before we talk about Lost, I do want to ask you about how the Gilmore Girls fandom inspired you to create Remarkist in the first place and mentioned that we met through the Gilmore Girls fandom because I am a huge Gilmore Girls fan, apparently the kind who will just add people on Facebook for no reason at all, which is what people do. And, and we just happened to um, meet on one of your posts where you were asking people who knows anything about fandom or is interested in fandom and I had this professional expertise and interest and we, we just started talking and that is how I became part of the community that became Remarkist and how I started blogging for Remarkist. I'll leave a link in the show notes, but you can read my my hot takes on fandom on in Remarkist's magazine. Yeah, we uh, we met through through this project. Well, I mean, I would say we 
met at the very beginning of its conception. So yeah, you are one of of many fans who will brand a cast member of a, of a show. But it's it is it is a weird. It's a it little a, weird, but but sometimes it works. I try to keep weird. I don't think it's that weird. You know, I've been really open on my socials since the beginning of social media. I've been I've been in social media since Friendster, and uh, and so um I I decided early on. You know, when I first started Twitter, when I first started on on MySpace, and uh, which is really kind of where I began. Began, as I said, I didn't really see myself as a celebrity or and anything that would warrant a fandom around me. I, for many years, I just didn't really think that that was that a, somebody who played a role as small as mine like w- should have a fandom. That fandoms really only or be part of a fandom or be somebody that that a fandom cared about. Right? I guess is probably the better way of saying it. Uh, I thought that that was reserved for. Lauren, Alexis, you know, I, I really did, uh, Sean. Um, and so it was weird to me at first that like all these folks just wanted to, wanted to, um, connect over social media. And I, and I think that at first I found it a little weird, just not weird for them. I just felt weird for me that I, that I was more of like a curiosity than a person. And so I decided that I didn't want to create any sort of gate, like, like be, you know, be some sort of like, uh, oh, I'm going to only let, you know, some people in or whatnot. I decided that like, I was just going to let everybody in, which is actually probably the opposite of what a lot of, you know, a lot of folks do. They just let nobody in because they're like, no, this is for my friend, my real friends and family. But I decided I was going to let everybody in and then I would actually make a concerted effort to get to know people, you know, and that I would, I would like chat with them and like write things on their wall and that by doing so i would just like eliminate any sense of me being somebody who was in your television now i can really be me and maybe decrease the number of people who call me brian as opposed to calling me by my real name uh and it it was cool it worked i met a lot of really great people in the early days of social that i still am friends with today on my socials and yeah i mean remarkus it began with me just feeling like I wanted to do something fan related with the show, not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I thought at first that I wanted to do a, a blog where I would just literally every week, I would just write another a piece just about my time on the show and things that I remembered from the show, which has actually evolved into a project that I'm doing now at Remark as a different project. Um, but it, eventually Clubhouse had just started and I thought, wow, that might be a really great platform to do this. So I did. I put this like kind of just this call on my social. Is anybody interested in fandom um, who is on Clubhouse and would like to talk to me about helping me build something? And you jumped in and were like, uh, hello, I just set up an account and I would love to talk. And you and I were like on a chat, maybe like, I want to say that day. And I will say, I want to say it's really funny now looking back on this. This was about a year and a half, almost two years ago, actually. Wow. Time flies. Years ago, yeah. And I remember that day I was so nervous because I'd been watching Gilmore Girls since I was nine years old. It's written in my website bio that I remember in the fifth grade writing an article about how Lorelai Gilmore was like the fictional heroine that I loved more than anyone. And I so desperately wish I still had that paper. 
because even when I was 10 years old, I was thinking about fandom very similarly. I mean, it's my, my thinking has evolved over time, but you know, I was the person I am now to some extent that that person existed then. But it was a little weird for me because to me at the time you were Brian, but in getting to know you, you know, I don't watch Gilmore Girls and see my friend John. Like I'll say, oh, that's John. I know it's John. I, I can see with my eyes that it's John, but I know that this is a completely different person. This is a character that you know, you can, I'd say you contributed some elements of your geekiness and like your, your character, but you're a completely different person. And it's been really fun as a fan kind of seeing all of those differences. And, and I do see you as a person and not a curiosity. When would you say that that kind of happened for you, that it clicked, that it went from, I mean, and I use the word curiosity, obviously is like kind of a negative word, but you know, it's just a word that I I've been using for a while, uh, but I think you sort of get the idea that like, I, you know, I think for a lot of fans, I am Ryan. And because of that, like, it's hard to, it's not like, you know, this is not a, this is just a human nature thing. It's hard to really, if you don't know a person, they like just some random stranger, you don't know them. They're just a form to you, right? They don't really have any personality yet. They don't have any any needs, any wants, any dreams, all of the things that you that you need some understanding of in a person in order to really develop a relationship to them, right? And so strangers on the street, you just pass them by. They're just a, a figure. But a, a person who was on a show, they have this extra layer to them, right? You also don't know their dreams, their desires, you know, the, all of that stuff. But you have this proxy that you can put in that you can't put in for a person on the street. And that is all of the stuff that you know about the character that they play. And so you end up having this relationship not to the person, but to the character. And the character is not real. And in most cases, all of that stuff that is put in has an extent to how real it actually can be, right? Because it's all written. And so really the person is sort of a thing, not a person. And so that's part of what I want to sort of break down is I don't want to feel like a thing. I want to feel like a person. And I recognize that in order for me to do that, you need to know some things about what drive me as a person. You need to know what I love. You need to, and we need to have some relationship. Like we need to have some, some degree of discourse so that we can actually trade some of that, right? Like I can learn a bit about you so that you can learn a bit about me. And that's the only way that you can start to see me as a real actual person. When when would you say that that started? Like, did it start soon or, or yeah. in a while? Yeah, it started pretty quickly because, well, first of all, we were talking a lot. I feel like we we started having these meetings over Clubhouse to talk about what it was that you wanted to do. And we would talk for an hour or two hours at a time. And then we started, um, I guess, the first slate at Remarcus, which was Gilmore Girls. And you had never seen the show before. And I guess just listening to you not as a fan, like you, you, you had been on the show, you knew how the show ended, you knew so much about it, but probably had lost these memories to time. And, you know, your memory was refreshed with watching the show, but um, watching this show with you and knowing that you didn't know most of what happened, you know, in the first two seasons that that you weren't in. And I don't know, just getting to know you as a person, 
pretty quickly I got a sense of who John was. And also, like, there's the idea, you know, we're friends and so we argue about stuff. We argue about the show and interpretations and things that we want to do with the app and things we think would be cool. And so, you know, your humanity was always there, but it very much comes out when you realize, you know, this person is a person, right? They're not just a fan object, which is literally what you call either a show or a product or even a celebrity is I, I say, you know, you're not an object, but technically, academically speaking, you'd be called a fan object because you have a fandom or fans obsess over you. That's probably the, the better word than curiosity is object, you know, I mean, and sort of objectifying um, your celebrity. It's a natural thing to do. I do think that like that part of developing a relationship with anybody is 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 this exchange of ideas, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, very often, especially when you're building something comes with debate and, and differing views, differing opinions on, on, on how, how you build something. And I think that that's probably what you and I have benefited from the most is that we've just been in a setting where like very early on, where we could just, we could just, uh, hash out ideas and listen to each other's ideas share our own sometimes they don't align sometimes they do and all of that yeah i think that that's that that's just really important and yeah i i think that that's also part of what i'm hoping remarcus can provide because i think that it can be a great place not just for the fan but also for the show artist to engage fans in a very different way than show artists have so far and and in that different kind of engagement perhaps develop relationships with fans where they are not simply fan objects i know that there's a danger there you know and and i know that there are probably many celebrities that would say i have no interest in being anything more than a fan object um i don't want to be like actual like friends but I do think that there is some value in deepening your relationship to fans more than just being an object. And I think that we're seeing a bit of it with like platforms like Cameo, for example, that allow celebrities to talk directly to fans. Mm-hmm. And I think that live experiences, the ability to speak directly in real time to fans and talk to them as people and vice versa, allowing fans to talk to their favorite celebrities as people um, will also break down that wall a bit. And I think that the brands around those celebrities will be more meaningful. And and then, of course, like I said, I, I think that it also allows the fans to elevate their own brand as fans, because I think that that's important. Fans bring so much value to the shows that they love and the, and the movies that they love. And so I think that it's about time that fans um, develop their own creator brands around that immense amount of knowledge and passion. Yeah, I agree. In developing Remarkist and running this first slate on Gilmore Girls, there were so many inside jokes that we developed as a fan community uh, with you. And I was wondering if there were any that stood out. I mean, the first one that I could think of that came up early on when Dean was introduced in the first, I don't know, first episode or first few episodes, bag boy versus bad boy. You know, he's the bag boy at the grocery store. But, you know, did they say bag boy or did they say bad boy? It starts off with, uh, 
Yeah, that's that. That's probably the most we have. We have a bunch of weird little little jokes. There's Brian being beheaded, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is a big one. Oh my god! Can you can you explain that? Because that's really alarming. You 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 hate the Mia Mia's this beloved character. So there. Okay. So first of all, like. You know, I truly, truly was experiencing this show for the first time. I just did not know it. Now, of course, I remember some of the stuff from being on set and I went to table reads, not all of them, but many of them and sort of would remember bits and pieces of of episodes as they were happening and probably from the table read and whatnot. But for the most part, didn't know, did not know the concept of the show, the Friday night dinners and that, you know, that they, that, that Lorelai was essentially working off a debt kind of thing. I just, I didn't know so much. And so I didn't know characters and I especially didn't know anything about a character called Mia, right? Like that, like that character was a complete total like surprise and fans who don't know that since I joke might laugh or they might be like, what? But I just don't like that character. John hates Mia. He thinks she's a shady character. He thinks she's a serial killer. I think that she's like the perfect archetype for a Scooby-Doo villain, right? That everything about Mia looks like she should be perfect. But at the very end of the Scooby-Doo episode, who is the villain? And we pull off Mia's like her head like is a mask and underneath or or no, it's like the zombie, right? We pull the zombie's mask off and it's like, it's Mia, but now she's got like a really angry look look on her face that we've never seen before, you know? Oh, and I would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been for you pesky kids. My favorite joke related to this was that I remembered, so there were, for people who have watched Gilmore Girls, I don't know if anyone who hasn't seen Gilmore Girls is going to listen to this episode, but Mia, the character Mia is recast. She shows up, I think, in, in a very early like season two or season three episode, and then she just disappears and then doesn't come up again until, I don't know, season six or seven. And the actress who portrayed Mia was recast. So I tried to rally everyone to gaslight John into thinking that it was the same person. But apparently you already knew that Mia had been portrayed by two different actors. Actually, I got spoiled. I got spoiled in, in, in the comments. There's no way, even if I hadn't been spoiled, <laughs> there's no way I would have been fooled. Like there's no, I, I I have a good enough memory. That the, that first Mia is is burned into my memory. Like in a in a like I have nightmares about that first Mia. So Sean Gunn, a big thing about about that first Gilmore Girls watch is that I got lots of my old friends from the show to come join us for episodes that they were on. So Todd joined us, Sean joined us, Keiko joined us, and Nick Holmes joined us, Shelly Cole. Uh, and Sean came and he got a whiff of that joke, like, you know, the the fact that I don't like Mia or or no. No, actually, I don't think it, it was. He didn't he didn't get a whiff of that. He just thought it would be funny because of of how little I knew about the show. He thought it would be a funny joke to say that, um, to spoil me about my own character by saying that Brian, Brian gets beheaded late in the series. <laughs> like, 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 sorry, man, I, 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 I hate to spoil you on this, but, but Brian gets beheaded. So then of course the community, um, that had been watching, they also had this other thing about me, like thinking that Mia was this like evil Scooby-Doo villain. So they then married those two things together. Brian gets beheaded and he gets beheaded by Mia. 
And then another member of the community did a drawing of Mia, like a, like an illustration of Mia standing there with a silver platter with Brian's like head, just like beheaded, like freshly beheaded, <laughs> sitting on the platter, which then became a t-shirt that we then all ordered. And so all of us have t-shirts of, I mean, I can't wait for one day when my daughter, who's now two years old, grows up and can understand what she's looking at when she sees a t-shirt, her father wearing a t-shirt of his own head on a platter of just a smiling, very smiling, friendly Mia, but not friendly. Yes. Not friendly. That's all a deception. She's too good. That character is just too perfect. There's nothing about that character that has any vulnerability, nothing about that character that has anything. She's just too perfect. And so therefore, I know she's hiding something. Did you know how that t-shirt um, and the art came to be, actually? I had said right. that. That's right. You were <laughs> the one who did it. Right. I remember I I can't take credit for the whole thing because the artist, um, Megan, she, she's incredible. Um, I, I have absolutely no drawing or painting skills, but I manifested it in the community. I said, hey, wouldn't it be funny if someone recreated like John the Baptist's head on the platter, like that classical biblical painting, but it's Mia and Brian. And then um, our friend Megan- Just posted you know, a picture of it. Yeah, she she, then, she, she posted and it. And then, I, <laughs> and then I said, and then I said, I need that on a t-shirt. And then she's like, hold my beer. I actually made the, the she sent the picture I did the font like I put it in Canva and then she, it was this incredible. I, I just have to say this was transformative work, fan fiction and fan art brought to life. It's a great example of it because we all worked together to like contribute some piece of this. And now it exists. And now it's a T-shirt that we all own. You know, I, I, a lot of that kind of stuff at Remarcus, like still, you know, we have we have this whole I, I mentioned that that in, in addition to like the events aspect of the platform where you can kind of build these live shows around watching things together or we're talking about things. We've got this, this collectibles game um, that is called Mementos, where you can drop these like digital keepsakes that commemorate watching the episode or, or your time at the event. And they're really simple. They, they're just like, they look like a little sticker, you know, and we have a little crafter inside the app with this big catalog of emojis, essentially, that you can use to build these things. And the idea is to, you know, create one that like somehow it reflects the event that you just hosted, whether that be it has themes from the episode you just watched or some inside joke or whatnot. And we have this big catalog of these emojis, but people can also upload their own uh, artwork as well and put them into these little these little stickers and the community has now started to work together to build stuff for each other right so we've got certain artists in the community that are that are really good at designing and others who are really good with you know coming up with ideas for things and so what we're seeing is is the community doing very doing something very similar to what we did with that shirt where they come up with an idea, reach out to one of our artists and are like, I have this idea for a memento that I want to drop. Like, can you help me build it? Can you help me design it? 
And we have over 3,500 events that have been hosted since the start of this project. And we have over a thousand of these mementos that have been crafted and and released to um, to members of the of the community. And they release them in sets. So every memento is like a set of like, you know, 10, 20, you know, they're they're limited, a limited edition. So the number of additions that are out there in our community exceeds 12,000. We have over 12,000 of these editions in the hands of community members. Uh, it's super geeky and super fun. And, and there's something really satisfying about building something creative that speaks to your own love of a piece of fiction, distributing it to a bunch of fans that feel the same way and have them all like scrambling to collect it and take care of it, um, you know, which is another part of the game. You have to kind of keep them shiny and nice in your collection. And, and, and it's been really powerful. And all of that stuff began with this Gilmore Girls watch and began with all of this crazy geeky fan creativity that we were all doing for months. And that is just, I know that it was enjoyable for fans, but man, it was super fun for me. And that's why I really do genuinely believe that like there are other show actors, show writers, show producers, directors, and even just influencers who have been building brands around these shows for years now who would just geek out over developing a collaborative, creative, collaborative relationship with fans. Uh, and I don't think that we've we've seen it yet. Um, like this at scale, but I think that we can. I think that we can see less of the fans are just there to consume your content and fans are here to be your co-collaborator. Exactly. I was recently asked, you know, what's the difference between a fan and a fan activist? And given that this is a fan activist podcast, I will explain um, you know, I think fandom is a spectrum. There are the fans who consume, but too often you hear fandom and you think it's synonymous with, you know, media consumer, when really it's more like consumer and creator and writer and artist and cosplayer and all of these different elements that bring these media properties to life in ways that, you know, they wouldn't come to life if, if, if they didn't, if the fans weren't there. That's why we call it an ecosystem. You know, that's why we say Remarcus is an ecosystem and in general, fandom is an ecosystem. And I think also you could say fandom is an economy, right? Like in economies, it's it's like the consumers and the creators, the buyers and the sellers, they're all the same people. Everybody inside of an economy needs something from somebody else and, and also wants to provide something for, for, for others. And until very recently, it hasn't been that dynamic. The dynamic has been really fans you are here to consume what we, the brands, the studios, the networks, the celebrities are here to deliver you. And that paradigm is dissolving. And I think it's good. I think it's good. I think that it will produce richer, more meaningful brands. I, I've been saying this for a long time. I think I, it was one of the first things that I said, uh, I told you when we first were talking. I think that the future has fan fiction becoming canon. I think we will one day, we will see a brand, not one day, I think it's coming within the next 10 years. We will see a brand that officially allows fan fiction to become canon, that they they work out a system by which 
multiple canons can exist. I mean, like in, in the Marvel universe, there are like multiple different universes and multiple different canons that, you know, even within their own official Marvel universe, there are several different comic strands that, that have different canons. So it's possible to have, for a brand to have multiple canons. And so for that reason, there's, it doesn't, it seems totally reasonable to imagine a future in which uh, a brand figures out how to weave fan fiction in as uh, as its own official a part of its its own official candidate, and I would I just I think that that would be really cool, and I think it would only make the brand better. Obviously, like only the best of that content is going to rise to the top. So why not? If the fan fiction is absolutely awesome, why not? <laughs> Let's travel back to yesteryear before Remarkist. Von Dutch hats were everywhere. The Black Eyed Peas ruled the world. And there was a little show called Lost that everybody watched. Not me, because I just wasn't into Lost as a kid. Uh, and I still haven't seen it. So you'll have to tell me what it's about. No, and, Gil and, and, Gil and Gilmore Girls was on the air as well. And Gilmore Girls was on the air. But I know about as much as anyone who saw the award shows who... You know, you know, like, oh, a plane crashes and there's weird stuff going on and it was all a dream. Maybe. I don't know. That That's the extent to which I know Lost. But you cultivated a fan community around your blogging about it. So tell me about that experience. So, yeah, no, I, I started watching Lost and I just was captivated by it. What really captivated me was not even necessarily the show itself, but was the discussions with people about what was going on. People in my own life, my sister who was watching it, my girlfriend at the time, I just, I loved that that interaction. And so I started blogging about it. Um, my friend James Gunn, he- James Gunn, the director? <laughs> James yeah. Gunn, the director. Yeah. Uh, he he actually tweeted out a nod to the post because he was reading it or uh, to, to the blog, he was reading it. And that got me a bunch of followers, um, uh, subscribers, readers. Um, and they and and this like community of folks would just converge there and we would just geek out over episodes in the comments of these hot takes that I would do. And then I eventually started to turn it into like, you know, I started to like drop like weird creative games that I would play um in there. I started creating weird graphics. I created this this New York City style subway map for the island of Lost. Um, have you seen this? I haven't. I got it. It went, it went viral. So it's like, it's one of my, it's one of my viral prides. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so viral. So well, viral that I haven't seen it. it, it uh, well, it did. It, it was, it was seen a lot. It was all over Tumblr at the time. Were you on Tumblr back in the last days? Well, what, what years was this roughly? Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. Von Black Eyed Peas. Well, you know, I mean, you know, what, what years were Black Eyed Peas and Von Dutch? Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Nine, maybe. Oh, I was thinking 2006 or so. Well, it was like the later seasons that I did. Okay. That I did that. that Because the way I did it was every subway line was a different season of the show. And so all, and each subway line had different stops. And each stop was a different kind of big thing that happened that season. It was just part of, it was just part of a lot of, a lot of the play that I, that I was doing there around Lost and I think it was at that point when I started to realize that like, well, certainly the studios were starting to realize how powerful commentary on shows were. Because before Lost, you could not pitch 
a show like Lost to the studios. Like Lost existed largely because J.J. Abrams, you know, and, and and the ability to pitch something that high concept to a network um, just with a name. After Lost, everyone was pitching shows like Lost, you know, and you had shows like Fast Forward and all kinds of like these like really mysterious type shows. But I remember like before Lost, it was, you know, the idea that fans would be able to come, you know, watch a show like this that you needed to watch previous episodes and all that stuff was just unheard of. And what they realize is that like these shows actually are driven by the conversation that happens in between the episodes. And that was really what I got swept up in. And that's what I really, that I, that's what I really love. And so I think that H plus and the project that I did for Warner brothers was largely inspired by that time blogging about Lost and and developing the fan relationships that I did. Folks who came and found me because I was Brian on their favorite show, who are now online buds of mine and have been for now over a decade, we met in those Lost conversations. And that is a big part of where my philosophy on the relationship between fans and show artists come from. It comes from like a really successful and enjoyable and meaningful project that happened back when I was blogging about Lost and creating, you know, all of this like geeky creative content for it. Now, as an actor in Hollywood, did you get to meet anyone who worked on Lost at the time? Did you ever have those Spanish moments where you were like, oh, my God, it's so and so. I don't remember. You, I could not tell you who was in Lost except for um, the guy who was in Lord of the Rings. Dominic Monaghan. Yes. And yes, Dominic Monaghan lived in my neighborhood. Oh, my God. And so the I did not meet anybody from the from the show. Just I mean, all of those actors, by the way, like were like living in Hawaii during that, during that whole, for most of that time. But he lived in my neighborhood and I saw him every once in a while. I would see him, but uh, I remember the first time I saw him, it was, we were both walking into Home Depot together. I don't know why, but like that just, it, it just it burned into my mind that like both me and Dominic Monaghan needed to go to Home Depot to buy like, I don't know, like screws or something or like new you know, new knobs for our cabinets in our in in our apartment. You guys both had a quest that day. That's and... yeah, that, that's right. And and yeah, you know, I mean, look, I mean, when I, I like I said, I I don't judge, I do not judge fans for calling me Brian or for having you know like not being able to see past and into oh he's a real person. You don't know me. I like. If I see some stranger on the street, I have a very difficult time having any relationship to them whatsoever. And, you know, as a fan, you do have this thing that you can use to plug in until you know me. And if you love the show, like I could see how it would be very exciting to meet somebody from, you know, this world that you really, really like invested so much of your life into. And that was what it was for me. Like I don't get typically get starstruck because just I'm in a, an industry where I see celebrities all the time and I've worked with them, you know, face yeah. to face, whatnot. But this was one where I had just been so deep into that world and was so in love with every little tiny facet of the of the lore and fandom and, you know, and just the the play that came with that show 
that when I saw him, it was like a moment of like, oh my God, that's Charlie, which was just weird because I'd never really thought like that before. And I was like, I wonder if he's getting knobs for his cabinets too. Did you say anything? Did you say hi or, you know, I love your work? I don't do that. That's okay. Look, I like to say hi, but it really depends, you know, if I actually like this person's work, not just, oh, it's a celebrity I recognize. If a fan says to me, I loved you on the show, to just to be clear, anyone who was on a show or who created a piece of work, anyone who is told, I loved you on, you were great on, every one of them, it doesn't matter how big of an actor you are, celebrity you are, likes that. And fans should fans should know that. Like, it, it's it's not about you know, being told that I'm, that you've, you know, you've made such a difference in my life or I loved your work or whatnot. Like every celebrity love that. It's just the volume. So like if, if it's a major celebrity, they just get that all the time to the point where it's hard for them to actually function because they're like focused on doing something and suddenly that that's been interrupted only at the highest level. Like if you see somebody from your favorite show that is like, you know, a recurring role or, you know, or even a main cast member in many cases, because there's so many shows on television now that it's, you know, it's being fandom is being distributed much more broadly. Tell them that you like them. I guarantee that you will put a smile on their face always like, and that is just, that is just a truth that I think a lot of fans don't realize, which is that like, no, actually like most television show actors are very flattered and you actually put a smile on their face if you say something nice to them and don't be afraid to just a quick, and you don't just don't spend too much time because obviously oh yeah there, but just a quick, like, Hey, I just wanted to say, I love you on blank. There's never, ever been a time in my life where that has not put a smile on my face. And and I think this is one of those things where being a fan, you have to use your manners, but also they're people. And you're right. Everything you said was correct. You know, just be polite. Don't dawdle too much. But um, I've worked with a lot of celebrities before. So I, my personal take on this is it really depends on the situation. One that I wanted to share was that I was at the TED Climate Change Summit a couple of years ago in Scotland, which was so fun. And I met Emma Watson. She strikes me as like the type who would just love to talk to a fan. She's a friend of a friend, actually. She was there with someone I knew. And when I went up to her at dinner and introduced myself, you know, I told her that I work with an organization that used to be called the Harry Potter Alliance. And, you know, obviously her activism and her work meant so much to me. But she also had this, you know, everyone at TED had this tag that said, ask me about blank. And hers was pleasure activism, which is a term coined by Adrienne Marie Brown. It's like this really academic, like, you know, she's a very bookish person. She had a book club program. So um, Emma Watson did. And so I asked her about pleasure activism and we had this wonderful conversation and she said, oh, you should read Octavia Butler and read this and that. And so I got all of these amazing um, reading recommendations and, and it was an amazing conversation. On the other hand, I did go up to former Vice President Al Gore and tell him something that I've always wanted to say, which was, Mr. Vice President, I always thought that the word allegorical should have meant of or pertaining to you. 
and he and he just like laughed and then I, I just like went on my merry way so well at least he laughed i was like i gotta i gotta tell him my my stupid little joke because it, it just would mean the world to me to say this thing that means absolutely nothing he's there to save the planet and i'm there to just um save the planet but also like be funny about it i mean those those are a few different ways to talk to people but um anyway let's let's talk about lost a little bit more um, in the year 2023, long past Von Dutch, long past the Black Eyed Peas, I think, is Lost still relevant? And do you think it holds up today? Um, and if you were to host it with Remarkist, what would that mean for you? Well, I would love to host it with Remarkist. I haven't watched it in a decade. And I don't know if like this, you know, this decade that passed you know, all of the content that came after Lost, so much of it is inspired by Lost and certainly built on what Lost created. And therefore, a lot of it is actually corrected things that, you know, that like that maybe Lost didn't get quite right. I know a lot of folks really didn't love the end of Lost. In general, Lost is very soapy. And I think that content in general has started to like lose a little bit of the soapiness and get a, a like a little more realistic. I think that we've got like, you know, you, you always have the like, post this post that right like like post post content of uh, of a particular show like the show ends up being the line at which after this show things change and we can we can say that lost was one of those right like oh content was never the same after lost and that's very true like suddenly content that was not necessarily like episodic became like the most important um content right like suddenly audiences were trusted to come back and watch a show that you really truly needed to watch um, previous episodes, right? Like they were trusted more like book readers, like a like a, a, a season of a show was like was like reading a book and each episode was a chapter and you were trusted to have read the previous chapters or before lost that 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 trust wasn't there as much. I mean, it existed in like daytime soaps and, you know, and of course, soap opera has always existed even in, in, in prime time, but really lost took it to another level because there was so much little detail that you needed to really know from episode to episode. And that was the thing that, that, that studios just didn't trust that people had the ability to do or that they would want to do. It. And it just showed that like, no, actually they love it. And your show can grow through the engagement that happens outside of it. That's post-loss. Then of course, like you've got like Breaking Bad comes and then suddenly everybody's like, oh, the anti-hero, like, you know, now we can write shows about people who are kind of not good people, but we root for them anyway. And so then that becomes like, you know, sort of a new big thing. Uh, and then of course, post-Game of Thrones, you know, now do not, like none of your favorite characters are safe. We are now in an era where, where anybody who you think of you love is going is likely going to die in the next episode right like all of these these things and i feel like that evolution that has happened since lost um has just so transformed the the that kind of serialized content in a way that probably lost might feel a little dated and a little goofy but i think that it still will have the same kind of what in the world is going on here appeal that it originally had I know that so much of that show that the creators just didn't really know exactly where they were going with it. So they were just like, it was almost like, 
what is it, like free association writing? You know, they were they were, were just, throwing darts. They were throwing darts at the yeah, board. and it was it was it was fun, and you know, there was just like all this like weird pattern recognition that people were having. They were finding patterns and stuff that like they didn't need for it to be there, but that was sort of the fun of it. And so I'm I'd be curious to find out now whether or not that all holds. Um, the show, just because of the nature of the show, it really provided me with so many opportunities to play with the fandom. Like, you know, like I said, I, I, I created that, um, that subway map. I also created this like little interactive game at one point on my website where like, you had to like match up, you had to ship different characters and stuff. And so I would really love to like, to like return to some of that play, like, you know, build little playful experiences for folks. And I also would love to re-engage with some of the fans who were really into that blog back then who I haven't really engaged with in years were still friends on you know on socials um and you know occasionally will like or will comment on each other's posts but I would love to like engage them again and collaborate with them the way that we did back then so that's those are the reasons why I would love to do Lost is just like revisit it see how it holds up maybe reconnect with some friends who we were, you know, all geeking out about it back then and see if we can't create some other really fun, geeky, weird, playful experiences for new folks um, as well as for ourselves. I don't know if I'll wind up watching Lost, but I do know that if I do, I'll watch it with you because to me, Lost is a John Cabrera jam. So thank you. Thank you for explaining Lost to me, all of the things that um, made the fandom great. I hope that we'll get to watch it on Remarkus soon. And I'm very excited to watch Dawson's Creek with you at some point. Yeah, we are watching Dawson's Creek. Like we're about to start a big watch of Dawson's Creek, which I've never watched before. I don't know a single thing about it, except I do know that one of the characters' name is Pacey. Pacey. Oh, Pacey. And the, and, and the reason why is because my sister used to back in the nineties, just every once in a while, just to I think to annoy me. We were we 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 were living together in Chicago for a, a short period of time, um, in the nineties, and she used to just as a joke, just in passing, just be like Pacey. <laughs> but I don't really know what that means, except that it is that she was definitely trying to annoy me. I'm like, huh, what are you doing? She's like, it's from Dawson's Creek, like. I have no idea what you're talking about, but, um, but I don't know if that's from the show or she was just, she just thought the word Pacey just was, you know, it just sounded good if you drew it out and got it real whiny. Um, but I'm very, very, very excited to watch it uh, just because I like experiencing new things. And I think that I will probably, um, have fun watching with fans of the show. We're also watching all of the Star Wars film franchise. Oh, so, goody. That's a big one with fans. Yeah, so all nine, all nine films plus Solo and uh, and Rogue One and the Star Wars Christmas special. Oh, I love that. That's a horrible film. But, you know, we're going to ha- we're going to have fun with B. Arthur singing her 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 uh, her cantina musical number, um, which I can't wait. Uh, and we're also watching Abbott Elementary which is really exciting. A, a lot of really, um, a lot of great awards, uh, recs and recommendations. Just a lot of buzz around that show. And I'm excited to, to watch. I don't know much about it, except that it takes place in an elementary school. And then we're returning to Schitt's Creek for our final season. We've been watching that for the last few seasons. So we're going to, we're going to finish that out. So if any of your listeners want to join us watching this in real time, we're going to be watching it um, at each of those shows once per week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday mornings, Dawson's on Saturday mornings, Saturday mornings, Pacific time. So that might be 
um, afternoon, or if you're in Europe, that might be the evening. Um, and, um, and then Abbott elementary on Tuesdays at 7 PM and, and then Schitt's Creek will last soon as we're finished with Abbott elementary, we'll go into the last season of Schitt's Creek. And then on Thursday nights at 7 PM Pacific time, we'll be doing star Wars movie nights and we'll be watching the star Wars film franchise and doing all kinds of geeky play around that. We'll be, we'll be dropping memento like star Wars mementos. I think we're going to build a lightsaber. Although it won't be a like it won't be a lightsaber, it will be a light sword because lightsaber is a trademark. I think a trademark. <laughs> copyright, uh, copyright. Do not uh, steal. Incredible. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited, and um, would love, obviously, love to see you there always. Um, oh yeah, you. But it, um, would love if any of your listeners would love to to join us for some of that. It would be really fun. Yes, come on down, John. Where can we find you on the internet? You can find me. Either um, John, like at John Cabrera on on Twitter, like on on the socials, I'm either at John Cabrera or I'm at unboiled, like an egg that has not been boiled. The past tense of unboiling. Incredible. <laughs> I go by unboiled, but it's like a creative brand name that I've been going by for like almost twenty years now. Um, and and so on Instagram, I'm at unboiled, or I'm unbo- I'm unboiled on Instagram. I'm John Cabrera on Twitter, John Cabrera on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm really super, like I said, like accessible. I I reply back to messages. And um, and then if you want to join Remarkist, go to Remarkist.com and you can read all about the project. You can also follow our Discord. That's where I am every day, like hanging out with fans, like we've got about like 400 fans there that are that are geeking out over the shows that we love you can also find the remarkist instagram from that website just remarkist.com um is probably the best place for the full resources of the project it'll take you to that magazine that sabrina mentioned also you'll you'll link one of your your articles so that will be another way if you just go to that article link um all of our articles have links to every other part of the remarkist ecosystem Right on. Well, thank you, John, for joining us in the Hobbit Hole for this episode of Shireside Chats. Thanks for having me. Fandom Made Me is an independent production of Fandom Forward, executive produced by Brian Carton, and hosted and produced by me, Sabrina Carton. Special thanks to Claire Ty and Izzy Gall, and of course to all of our Patreon subscribers. To follow us and learn more about supporting fan activism, visit fandomforward.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.